Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Over here, but I want to jump into Habakkuk and pick up where we left off last week. Uh, We are in what I believe is the most important verse in all of Habakkuk, Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, verse 4. So uh, we'll put that up on the screen. I just want to read that quickly for you. Uh, It says, Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. So last week I focused mostly on his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright within him. And I began to touch on the part where God says, the just shall live by faith. But that is the most important part of this verse. I mean, that's the, that's the key foundational um, piece of Scripture. And so uh, not only is it important to the book of Habakkuk, this is important to all of Scripture in general. And so I want to bring us to another verse in the book of Romans. And I want to read from, from that passage in Romans chapter 1, where Paul is writing his epistle to the church in Rome, and he quotes this, this passage. So... Um, Oh, hey, uh, what, I don't know, what, what are my boundaries on the camera? What can, I, what can I do, what can I not do, where can I go? We got the camera, Pete, where are we, where are we talking? Is, is this right here good? Oh, come on, somebody. Pull it, pull it back a little bit. I want to be able to move around a little bit. So, <laughs> no, just zoom it out, just zoom it out. All right, so, uh, so they have the screen up there, and uh, while well, you guys can read this, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, of Christ. That word gospel doesn't mean the story of Christ, by the way. It doesn't mean the death, burial, and resurrection. It means the good news. Gospel means good news. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ as a person, his person, he himself is the good news. He is the good news. And so it's not just a story about him dying and coming back to life. That's really good news. But actually, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the story, the gospel of the good news of a person. I'm not just interested in telling stories. I'm interested in a person, a living person. Uh, Jesus is alive and well, and he says it is the gospel, the gospel of Christ, for it is the gospel, the story, the good news of Jesus, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, in the good news of this Jesus, this person, and what he did in that story the righteousness of god is revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith there we go okay so that's the that's the scripture screen for you so you're good to go Uh, i'm gonna sit on that verse like all day today um it is so important he says the gospel the good news of a of a man a God-man, Jesus, the good news of that one, of Jesus, is the power of God. That is the power. The power of God is not when people fall out while singing. The power of God is not when people are healed. The power of God is not when people are raised from the dead. The power of God is seen in the person of Jesus. Jesus, the good news of that person, that is the power of God. So the more we can proclaim him, the more we can talk about him, the more we can sing about him, the more we can exemplify, I don't know, the more we can reflect the wonder and beauty of that one person, 
The more our city is transformed, the more lives are changed, the more the dead are raised, the more the sick are healed. The, the, the dead being raised, the sick being healed, those are results of power. But the power of God unto salvation is seen in Jesus. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of this story. I'm not ashamed of this person and the good news that he brings. I am going to everyone telling whether they're Jew, whether they're Greek. He says, I'm telling the good news of this person. And so it is the good news of the person of Jesus that, that, that brings about the power of God. And, 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 and I love this. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. Now, if you're going to understand the book of Romans, and really if you're even going to understand this passage, you're going to have to figure something out. And it's a little confusing because in your English Bible, you have Paul talks about the word righteousness a lot. He talks about the word just a lot, right? The just shall live by faith. And he also uses the word justification a lot. Those sound like three different words, but actually in the original language, they're all the same word. They're all one word. And it'll help you understand this book so much more if you, if you understand that he's not talking about three separate things. So when he says, and it, it, it's hard to see this in the English, but in, in the original language, this is really connected. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God, the word for righteousness is dikaiesus. No, I'm not going to spell it for you. It's just dikaiesus. I'm just throwing it out there. Right? You Google it, figure it out. Uh, it, 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 it means righteousness. It means it means true righteousness. When he says that God is righteous, it's not like God says he's righteous, but really he's not. It, it means to literally be upright. So this is the opposite of what God is talking about in the book of Habakkuk. He says, you look at those evil people, their soul is not upright within them, right? They're not, they're, they're not aligned. But God, on the other hand, is righteous. He is aligned with himself, and he is perfect. He is holy. He is he is righteous. Now, now that same word, he says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We can see it from faith to faith as it is written, the just. Now, that word just is the exact same word. It's dikaesus. It's from the same root. The just, the ones who are righteous, just like God is righteous, shall derive their righteousness from faith shall obtain the righteousness by faith, for the just shall live by faith. So that's a big word study. I don't know if you're, if you're a study person, but you might want to underline every time it says righteousness, justice, and justification. Justification means to be made just justification. That's just what that means. And so this is what he's talking about, though. He says, in the person of Jesus, in the good news of the person of Jesus, we see the righteousness of God. It is revealed from faith to faith, for the just shall live by faith. Now, I, I just broke down Dekeesus. That's the biggest word I'm going to break down today, I think. I think. Anyway, uh, probably is the biggest word. But there's a few smaller words that I, that I want us to look at for just a minute. He says in verse 17, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith for the just shall live by faith there's three small words from to and by from faith to faith by faith from faith to faith by faith and it just it, I, this was a formula that i just saw in this passage as i was reading it that the just shall live by faith because they are receiving something from faith because they are looking to faith. 
Does that make sense? So, so, so in other words, if you just take that formula and you break it down, what you live by, you will live by what you feed from. And you will feed from what you look to. So this is true for the just, but it's also true for the unjust. You will live by what you are feeding from, and you will be feeding from what you are looking to. And so the just live by faith because they are feeding on faith, and specifically the faithfulness of God, because they are looking to the righteousness that's revealed in Jesus Christ. So they see Jesus, they see the man of faith, the man, the author and the finisher of our faith. They keep their eyes focused on him, and so they receive from him what they then live by. And if that's true about Jesus, it's definitely true on the other side of things. Many people are living by fear because they are feeding on fear, because they are focused on the insecurities of our time. They are watching uh, far too much news. They are focused far too much on the changing elements. And the truth is, no, I, we don't have a deadline for when uh, COVID-19 is going to be over. We don't have a deadline for when uh, uh, there's perfect equality in our country or in our world. We don't have a particular marker at which point we can say that, that you can stop wearing masks. We, and the uncertainty of our times... Can, if you focus on the uncertainty, and if you, if you zoom in on that and focus on that, then you will derive from that anxiety. And when, you, when you're feeding on anxiety, don't be surprised if you then are living by anxiety. And so it is, this works in, in, in both ways. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're feeling. You might be feeling overwhelmed. If you're, if you're living overwhelmed, that means you're feeding on things that overwhelm you, things that are too big for you. You're, you're constantly feeding on it. You're constantly um, re repeating it over and over in your mind. I, I had this discussion with one of my kids this week. I was sharing with them about the book of Revelation. It's in the Bible. And I was talking about the end times. This is a good bedtime story. And we're talking about the beast that comes up out of the ocean. And I can see their body language kind of like getting fearful. And I said, well, what's the matter? Well, I'm kind of scared. Well, what are you scared about? Well, because the beast and the, the heads and, you know, and, 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 and people going to jail for being Christians and people suffering for, for being Christians. And it, the whole thing was just kind of scary. And I said, well, if it's scary, then you're not focused on the right thing. Because the book of Revelation, like Ro and I were talking about, if you look in your Bible and look at the title, just the title of the book, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he is not the author of fear. In fact, he's the author of faith. So when we look at Jesus, we get faith, and then from our faith, we then live by our faith. So anytime you're reading from the book of Revelation and you start to get fearful, you are not focused on the right thing. It's interesting. The book of Revelation is the only book that, uh, what's his name, the, 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 big, the big Satanist of the 19th century who wrote the Bible of Crowley. Yeah, Aleister Crowley. It's the only book of the Bible that he said that the, that, that, that the demons that visited with him and the devil, apparently, on three separate occasions, told him that that book was true. It's the only book of the Bible that, that, that the demons agree with, according to Aleister Crowley. Why? Because, because it is, it's all true, but that's the one book that you can focus on the wrong thing. In fact, 
<laughs> if you go to church long enough, you find out every single book you can focus on the wrong thing. And even in the book of Revelation, you can miss the great reveal, the revelation, the revealing of this person, Jesus, and you can focus on this thing that comes up out of the ocean and there's all this other scary stuff. But I'm telling you, is it this, this is why I told my kid, I'm going to tell you, Whatever is pure, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is good, whatever is true, think on these things, and the God of peace will then guard your heart and mind. You will, what you're feeding on, this is what you will start feeling. What you're looking at is what you'll start feeding on, and that's how you will start living your life. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, but that was before COVID-19. He didn't start in March. He didn't change his strategy in March. He, God has not given us a spirit of fear. You, you, do you understand these? The, this letter to the book of Romans was written to people who were living in the middle of uncertainty. They were suffering for their faith. It was illegal to be a Christian publicly. It, like, like, we're, we're not talking about they go to church and they could get sick. We're talking about they go to church and they could never come home because they're carted off to the prisons. Like, this is a serious thing. And Paul is preaching to them and he says, the just shall live by faith in every generation, in every trial, in every persecution, in every sickness, in every disease, in every racial inequality, the just always live by faith. And in every generation there are the just. Which, by the way, that is actually sort of the main theme of the book of Romans. This idea of what does it mean to be just. This idea of even the fact that Paul says the just is an is a edgy statement. Because he's talking about humans. And he's labeling them with Dikaesus the same thing he just labeled God with. And you say, well... Yeah, why is that so edgy? Well, you're going to find out because this is Romans chapter 1, remember? And then he, he, he launches into Romans chapter 2, which is basically one large accusation against all of mankind. And, 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 and he, he digs into that. And, and so, you know, we could, we could read through all of Romans today, but that would take a little while. Um, so instead, I thought I'd just break it down a little bit for you, really in story form. Last week, we jumped into Acts chapter 3. And I want to look back at Acts chapter 3 real quick, because there's some elements of this story which are very true that Paul brings out in Romans, especially 1, 2, and 3. Um, specifically, I was, I was just thinking over this passage again in my mind. We have... We, number one, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 1, which comes directly after Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is important because that's when the Holy Spirit was given to the church. And when the, when the very first thing that happens now, when you turn the page into a new chapter after the Holy Spirit is given to the church, is we have Peter and John entering into the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour, and we have this little story. Now, surely this isn't the only thing that happened. Surely there were several, there was 120 people in the upper room, and they all dispersed. There were a lot of things happening. But the Holy Spirit instructed Luke to write down this particular story, because I believe this story encapsulates so much of why the Holy Spirit was given to the church. It says right here, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple in the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man who was lame from his mother's womb. 
This man was lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. You remember the rest of the story. Uh, he, he asked Peter, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus. And so Peter gives the man the name of Jesus. He doesn't give the man healing. He gives the man the name of Jesus. And, from, and, when, and when the man looks at Jesus, at the person of Jesus, at the, at the gospel of Jesus, the man is able to receive faith from that name. And it is from faith to faith, and it is his faith that heals him. And I was reading this, and it was interesting to me that the man was born lame. He was lame from his mother's womb. Anybody else lame from your mother's womb? <laughs> we got a couple of hands. If you're watching online today and you're brave enough to let us know, put a, put a little hand up in the comment section. I, I'll put my hand up. I was lame from my mother's womb. What does it mean to be lame? I don't mean just lame like in a slang sense. I mean, like his legs didn't work. In other words, he couldn't get upright. He couldn't walk uprightly. He couldn't stand up. The very thing, is, the very thing that was supposed to empower him and lift him up was holding him down. And he couldn't get up. And the same is true of all of us, for all have sinned, Romans tells us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We cannot rise to the level of dikaesus, of righteousness, that God is at. We are born this way, and we're born incapable. Paul pretty, lays it out pretty clearly. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you have the law or you don't have the law. It doesn't matter if you do good things or don't do good. You, you are incapable of reaching the level that God demands. The level of righteousness, the level of dikaesus that God is. None of us can achieve that on our own, and so we are born lame. We are very much like this man who's sitting uh, and begging because he cannot get for himself what he needs. And the sooner you realize that, the sooner you figure that out, the, the, and, and, and it's, it's not a good religion that doesn't let you get to that place. It's not a helpful sermon that just encourages you in your weakness and tells you that actually you're a good person and you should just soldier on. I'm sorry, you're, you're not a good person. For there is none good, no, not one, is what it says in Romans. He's quoting from the Old Testament. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. And so we've all sinned, and, and there's nothing that we can do. We're born lame. Uh, if we were if we were in a movie, it would be Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You guys ever watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? I love Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And uh, I did a sermon one time on on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids because you have you have the kids doing things they're not supposed to do, and they break the machine and they get zapped and they get shrunk, right? And then the dad sweeps them out with the trash and puts them out with the trash at the road, and then they cut open the trash bag and they look back on the yard and they have this huge distance that they have to traverse full of scorpions and ants and bees and tall grass and water sprinklers and and they have to try to get back and cheerios at the end and they have to try to get back to their dad's house that's us adam and eve did things they weren't supposed to do and they shrunk us they shrunk themselves and they shrunk us and you're born in the trash 
outside of your father's house. When Jesus told the story of the prodigal son, he wasn't talking about you. You didn't, you didn't have to leave. You were born outside of the father's house. You, you, you never knew what it was to be in the embrace of a loving Heavenly Father because you were born a rebel of God. You were born lame. You couldn't get to Him. And the sooner you figure that out, the better. It's really important that you figure that out. I was sharing, and, and so as a preacher, I shared that with my kids. I was telling one of my kids just recently, telling Micah, Man, if you, if, you, if, if you want to get to the level of righteousness that God is at, you have to start with the level of righteousness you're at. You have to be honest about it. You have to be honest. And, 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 and the, the wonderful thing about this is, all you parents out there, as you get to share this wonderful truth with your kids, you have a plethora of examples from your own life this is one of the truths. You don't even have to open scripture. I mean, if you want to, go ahead. Romans 1, 2, and 3, that'll work. But you don't, need, like, you don't even need the Bible. You just say, when I was your age, or you just say, last week. I mean, you just literally start describing some of the stuff that's going on in your own heart. And so I just began to say to him, I said, man, do, do you ever notice that you don't have to think about having a bad attitude? Do you ever notice that that just comes naturally? Sometimes you have a bad attitude before you even realize you have a bad attitude. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, said, I know that because that's me. <laughs> like, I, I came to this place when I was 14 years old, and I realized that I'm trying my best to live up to the righteousness of God, but there's something inside of me that just simply doesn't want to do it. And the more I try to do it, the more that something just kind of buries itself in, kind of entrenches itself in and says, I'm not going to do it, and you can't make me do it, right? And so it's, kinda, and so it's, it's a rebel inside of me, and it's part of me. And so I got to share with him the story of my life that, man, when I was 14, I realized no matter how hard I try, no matter how much behavior modification I attempt, there is something inside of me that while it may behave for a while, it is not interested in dying. At the end of the day, it's like, it's like, it's like washing a pig. <laughs> Get it all nice and clean. Okay, fine, it is clean, finally. But as soon as you turn around from that pig, he has either found some kind of mess to jump into, or he has created come on, somebody, some kind of mess to roll around in. It's like, it's like our puppy, right? Like you try to wash the puppy, as soon as he goes out on the farm, he will, it's instinctual. And this is, this, this is what happens. Oftentimes, I think we're kind of like, you know, just, just washing pigs in church. We're just kind of dressing up pigs and trying to, and trying to encourage ourselves that really we are, we're really not that bad. But, man, if you want to get to the level of righteousness that God is at, you have to start with the level of righteousness you're at. Recognize that I am that man. I am lame from birth. With all of my, quote, good intentions, the truth is I have more bad intentions than I have good intentions. Because even some of the good stuff I've done, I've done with bad intentions. Because I was checking to see if people were watching. I was checking to see if people approved. And so at the end of the day, even some of the good things I've done have had bad intentions. And yeah, okay, fine, you had a couple good intentions in your life. But do they, could they possibly ever outweigh the bad? And this is the great, this is the great beauty of Christianity. That Christianity is the only religion that I'm aware of that can deal with that thing inside of you. 
All other religions through, uh, you know, counseling or through meditation or through, or through uh, beating yourself or through restricting yourselves or through the, the seven pillars or in, in some kind of way, they're trying to restrain who they really are. And Paul says, but the just, the righteous, the truly righteous, the dikaiosus, the same level as God. Jesus said, be holy even as your Father in heaven is holy. And we say, that's impossible. And that's right. And so I'm glad that uh, uh, my son is finally getting it. And he told me this the other night. He said, he said I told Madden it's impossible for me to be kind to her. <laughs> And I said, what did she say? He said, well, she said, I don't know if that's really right. I'm going to check with mom and dad about that. And I said, well, that is right, but that's only half of it. That's half of the good news of Jesus. That's half of the gospel. <laughs> you, <laughs> come on. Some of you, if, 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 if being a Christian is an oven, you're, you're half-baked. You are just warm enough to not be considered dough and you are too doughy enough to be considered a cookie <laughs> i think jesus called that lukewarm and he said those are the kind of people i'm going to spit out of my mouth the kind of people that get into the oven and they get half the gospel they figure out one side of it and they're like well i don't know can't judge me because nobody's perfect and i'll never be like god because i just can't be and you got half of it and i said well, bud what did jesus say what did Jesus, Jesus was approached with the same question. When, when humans start to realize the infinite distance between their capacity and God's commands, they say that's impossible. That Jesus, was reached, or Jesus was faced with this exact same thing. I think he was talking about marriage as well. I don't know. We don't, <laughs> that'll be for the marriage sermon. This is, this is impossible. This is impossible. How can, how, can, how, can how can this happen? And Jesus looked at him and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Which is why the just shall derive their justness from faith, not from human works, not from effort, not from meditation, not from restricting themselves, not from behavior modification, not from counseling. They shall, they shall live in their justice by faith in the one who was just. They, they re the righteousness of God becomes revealed. We see him for who he is. We feed off of him, and then we live off of what we've been feeding on. And so the key for Habakkuk, remember this is about Habakkuk at the end of the day. Habakkuk is, is wanting to know, how can I deal with injustice? And God gives him an ingredient list for him to deal with it within his own soul. As Jordan Peterson would say, clean your room. Don't tell me about that system and that person and that church and that guy over there when you haven't even cleaned your own room. When you can't even be just in yourself when you can't even say yes and make it stick or no and make it stick you can't make a commitment and live by it don't tell me about how other people are letting you down <laughs> like you, you clean your own room first start there and once you do when you go through the hard work of dealing with the with the mess in your own life you'll have one a lot more empathy for everybody else and number two you will begin to feed on the righteousness of God you'll figure out you can't do it on your own 
And don't stop there, though. Don't stop there. Don't, don't, don't just tell your sister you can't be kind to her, all right? There's a, there's, a, there's a level two. There's a next level. And that level is the just, the ones who are just like God in their righteousness, are that way because of faith in Jesus. They see Jesus. They focus on Jesus. And they derive their righteousness from him. It's getting good. Let's jump, let's, 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 go, let's go a little further. Uh, the second half of the gospel is really what uh, the rest of Romans begins to build on. He, he starts off in Romans 1, uh, where he introduces the cornerstone of this, which is the just shall live by faith. The just, meaning there are people who are just. Paul, what are you talking about? And then he says, these people derive their justness or their righteousness from faith. And then he goes on to build his case. In uh, chapter 2, he, he deals with the unjust people, right? And he deals with, with, with their reaction. Their reaction is to judge. In chapter 2, and I don't have all these passages for you, but you can look it up. He says, he says who are you to judge, O man? For in the same way that you judge others, you yourself commit the same sins. And this is one of the things that, that, that selfishness does. You, you, you become blind to your own stuff. You see it in everybody else. And he says, he, he says, he says, he says don't you know that the, the goodness of God or the patience of God is intended to lead you to repentance? In other words, God's not just being good because you're good. He's not, he's not, he's not holding off judgment because he approves of you. He's, he's waiting for you to come to repentance. He's giving you space. He's giving you time. You see that in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, he breaks it down because every, he says, all have sinned. And this is true of all of us. And there's another passage there uh, in three, uh, 325, which I do uh, want to bring up. Uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 25, we can have it on the screen for you in just a minute. Actually, 24, I think 24 is the first one. And this is what he says, this is how God has dealt with the sin problem. This is how God has dealt with it. He says, being justified. There's that word again, justified. This is the same as dekaesus, but it's in the verbal form. He says, God has made us to be just. We were justified freely. It didn't cost us anything. By His grace and through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, once again, through faith, to demonstrate His Righteousness, his de, his Now, when he says that God set him forth as a propitiation, that word propitiation, it's really weird. That's a five dollar word. It's a, it's a it's a weird word. We don't use that word a lot nowadays. Um, literally, because it's a noun, a, pro, a propitiation is a thing. In the Septuagint, it's the same word that was used back in the Book of Exodus in the Holy of Holies for the, the golden cover that would be placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is technically made of two pieces. You have the box, and then you have the cover. The cover is the one that was made of pure gold that had angels on it. The, the box itself was made of wood that was covered in gold. And so we're to understand that these are two different things. That there's two different elements. There's this pure gold thing that's placed on top, and it is on the pure gold that's God said to Moses, he said, there I will meet with you. I'm not going to meet with you next to the open box. You're going to have to put a cover on it. You're going to have to put a cover because the cover is what covers, and the inside of the box is the law. 
You need something between you and all the times you've broken the law. You need something to stand between you and all the times that you failed. You need something, and, 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 in the, and, and, and in the Psalms, David says, blessed is the man whose sins have been covered. He's talking about a propitiation. He's talking about this, 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 this covering that goes over, and it doesn't nullify the law. It doesn't do away with the law. It doesn't change God's mind about the law. Rather, it does something to the person who is there. Specifically, God said, I will meet with you. And when the righteousness of God is revealed to us, we become what we're focused on, what we're feeding from is what we live by. God said, if you really want to be righteous, you have to come to this cover, and you have to recognize that your past, there's only one thing to do with it, and that is to be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. There's got to be something between you and your past. And then on that cover, you place blood. And as you place the blood right there, that's where I will meet with you at the cover. And Paul says that Jesus is our cover. Jesus is our cover on the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus is that thing which goes between. The, 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 technically, the word propitiation means the thing which creates peace between two opposing parties. <laughs> the thing with the, that is kind of like a mediator, kind of like a connector, kind of like a, uh, a representative of both sides to bring peace to both sides. And this is what he says. He says that Jesus is our peacemaker. He is the prince of peace. There it is. He is our, our thing which goes between the law, which is just, which is true, which is good, which is holy. But the ways in which we have broken it, it he is the one who goes between and he makes peace. And he steps in. And in that, God justifies he says we have been justified. Now this is different. It's, it's, it's confusing because you're talking to an American audience. The term justified sounds like a legal term. And I know I've heard, even heard some preachers say that it is. But it's not. When, when it talks about, when Dikaiesus talks about God, it's not talking about the fact that God is legally righteous. He just, he just is righteous. And, 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 and when he talks about us, he doesn't mean that we are just legally righteous. Because you can be legally righteous and morally wrong. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, some of us are old enough uh, to remember O.J., right? O.J. Simpson. Ford Bronco, anybody? Uh, yeah. I can't, I, can't, I, I can't hear stuff with masks on. I don't know. I got people. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know, I, I don't know what that is. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. That's all I know. Um, oh, that's what you're saying? Wow, that did not sound like that. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of think OJ did it. I sort of, I sort of think he 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 done it. Uh, yeah, there's some, there's a whole lot of interesting things there. Uh, you know, he took out his, his almost decapitated his white girlfriend and uh, slitting her throat just. And, and I think his boy or her boyfriend, uh, anyway, I, I don't know. It was, it was a mess. I was about 10 years old, I think, when it happened, and it was all over the news. And um, he had a lot of money, 
and he had some good lawyers who create things like if it doesn't fit you must acquit and he he he, he pretty good acting skills with putting the glove on um, and uh, he got acquitted he was justified by the court now human uh, you know uh, American opinion he wasn't justified in American opinion we were all like uh, I don't know that seems a little shady um, but he was justified so when when he was justified in the court of law basically what happened is he didn't have to say he was sorry he didn't have to feel bad about it he basically just just pleaded his case with his lawyers and and the, there, there was a change that happened but the change that happened in his justification was really a change on the side of the law. The law decided, we're not going to prosecute you anymore. Right? We're going to declare you as innocent, regardless of what we actually think, but on a legal basis, we're going to declare you as innocent. You don't have to pay for this crime, and we don't know who, who killed these people, but it wasn't you. You can go on your way. There was not a change in OJ. There was a change in the court. The court, the judge, decided to look at him differently. And some people still have that view about God. They think that justification is this thing where God changes the way he looks at me. Where he decides, okay, I'm just going to look at you differently now. But justification, it's righteousness, meaning it is, it is making you righteous. So the change doesn't happen in God. God is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The shift that needs to happen has to happen in here. And so true salvation is where God covers the sins of your past, but then he does something about the reason why you sinned to begin with. He, he does something right here called justifying. He, he does it freely. It's by his grace. It's not by your own obedience. It's not by your own, or your, your own works of righteousness. You don't earn your way to this. You simply submit your way to this, and he does a work in your heart. And it's awesome. And this is what I'm telling my kids about, and this is what I'm preaching to you guys about, because I want, I don't just want my kids to pray a prayer in church. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want them to think that's what it means to be a Christian. Like, you pray a prayer, and then you try your best for the rest of your life. That's not what the Bible teaches. We have been made just. We have been made righteous. There's something that happens to us, not of our own works, but by His grace, by His power, by faith in Jesus. He said, there I will meet with you at the, at, the, at, at, at the cover. When you come to the cover, when you come to Jesus, I will meet with you. And when I meet with you, I will do a work inside of you. You can't do for yourself. You can place that cover on there. But even, I mean, even if the priest just put the cover on and left it, that wasn't going to cover it. <laughs> it was going to cover it, but it was not going to cut. It's not going to cut it. It's not going to to fill the need because as soon as you cover the law okay the law is covered but now the law of your own heart still condemns you and so yeah your past may be forgiven with a prayer absolutely but what are you going to do tomorrow <laughs> what are you going to do the next day yeah, exactly. We need this right here, this justifying freely by His grace, that His grace, which is the power, comes into our life. He meets us there. And if you're not going there, if you're not going to Jesus on a daily basis, you haven't received the fullness of what God has for you. Like I started telling last week when I was 14, I began to realize this, that I need, I need something more. 
I need more than just trying to do my best, praying a prayer and trying to do my best and trying to do my best. There's got to be more. And so I began reading some old, old school guys, you know, Charles, uh, Charles and John Wesley, uh, Finney, um, Phoebe Palmer, some, some, some folks that talked a little more about, well, they call them the Methodist. Uh, they call them Methodists because they were trying to find a method to this right here, this holiness. And you can think whatever you want about a particular method. I have questions as well. I think the Bible's the best, the best thing. But it's not bad for a, for a human to study the Bible trying to find a way to teach people how to experience something. I don't think. And so this is what I'm talking to my kids about. I'm bringing them on a journey, the same journey that I went on. And it starts by, which I shared last week, um, keeping yourself on the altar. And we find that uh, in Romans. Actually, if we can go to Romans chapter 12, this is really toward the end of the matter. You have uh, Romans 1, where we talked about being justified, uh, that the just shall live by faith. Romans 3, where the, we have been justified freely by His grace. And that, then you get to Romans 12, and Paul says, I beg you, therefore. The word therefore is there. <laughs> one, 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 one guy in, in Bible college said, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to find out what it's there for. Because it's there for a reason. It's pointing back to something. He says, I'm begging you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And I actually preached a sermon one time. Where I just went through all of Romans and looked at the mercies of God that he's talking about. So you can start at chapter 1 and look at the mercy of God. But he says, I beg you by the mercies of God. Once again, it's by his mercy, by his grace, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, how do I be transformed? I can't transform myself. No, you cannot. By the renewing of your mind. So it's something that God does on the inside. He changes, renews, makes new your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But it starts with this idea of presenting your body as a sacrifice. And so I, I've been talking to my kids about that, about, about presenting this body right here. So this body is my hands, my feet. This is, this is my body. This is my, my sexuality. This is my relation, my relationships. This is my, my thinking. This is my attitude. This is my mouth. Come on, someone. Present your mouth. As a living sacrifice. Present your, this is my fingers, what I'm typing. This is what I'm scrolling. Present your thumbs as a living sacrifice. The 2020 version. Present your phone as a, as a living sacrifice. You, everything that this body uses, everything this body eats, everything this body drinks, and how much it drinks, of what it drinks. <laughs> Come on, Austin. Present your body, present your body as a living sacrifice to put it on the altar. It doesn't mean behavior modification. It means behavior submission. It's an attitude of the heart to be on the altar. It's not, oh, well, uh, I can only do this and I can't do that and I have to do that. And No, 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 it's not about that. It's an attitude of the heart. To put yourself on the altar means I'm submitted to God's will and He has the right to tell me what to drink and what not to drink, what, who to hang out with, who not to hang out with, who to be best friends with, what to, what to text, what not to text. He has the right to, to control and to dictate my attitude no matter what people do to me. We get some people messing with us yesterday. But, but my attitude is not in what people do to me or how people treat me. Because, because how they treat me... Look, if, if, 
if if you come if if you're walking along and there's 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 a dead animal on the altar you can call it all kinds of names and it won't do anything in fact you can take a little stick and poke at it it won't do anything cuz it's dead one of the ways you know that you're not on the altar is when situations start poking at you and you respond like you would have responded in your old self. And, and this is the problem, though. We get so afraid of that that we, that we fall right into condemnation. We're so afraid. And we're so afraid of that in our kids, too. The moment they have a bad day, oh, they're going to hell. I can't believe this. You know, and we just, we just totally write everything off. But it's not like this is a part of the Christian experience. You, I, like, I'll just talk to you like, like, like you're my kids. This is a part of following Jesus. You get on the altar, and then life gets you off, and you slowly find yourself falling in love with the world again. And then you start talking like the world and acting like the world, and before you even know it, you're off the altar. And as soon as you realize that, you have to get back onto the altar. That's what he says. He says, I beseech you, I beg you. And he's talking to the church. He's talking to brothers and sisters who are going to church with their lives are being threatened, but they're not all on the altar. I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Lay it all down. Don't hold anything back. Holy, he says, which means completely holy. It's like a, the, 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 the word holy means to be whole or to be whole or to be complete. It's a, it's a full circle. Every area of your life, every closet, every living room, every, every little drawer of your life has to be opened up to the, to, the, to, the, uh, uh, to the conviction, really, of the Holy Spirit to lay it all before Him. This is how you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Your eyes, come on, guys, make, make the covenant with your eyes, your mind, your mouth, your ears. You just go right to kindergarten. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little... I mean, if you're listening, if you're feeding on gossip, you are not going to live on faith. If you're feeding on, if you're feeding on negativity, you're not going to live on faith. If you're feeding on fear, you're not going to live on faith. If you're feeding on division, you're not going to live on faith. If you're feeding on CNN, you're not going to live on faith. Like, what, like what, what's going into your ears, what's going into your eyes... I lay this down at the altar, and that doesn't mean that I don't watch anything or listen to anything. It means that the attitude of my heart is to check in with God first. And so I lay, lay it down at the altar, and as I'm on the altar, this is, I, when I was 14, this really hit me, and I, I realized that there's more to Christian life than just trying to do better. There is submitting more fully. And that's not trying to do better. That's trying to submit more fully. Fully, Is there any area of my life that's not submitted? Is there any area where I don't have faith? I don't believe? Because honestly, that's what it comes down to. We're so scared of sin because we really don't believe that God's able to deal with sin. We don't want to let it bubble up inside of us or bubble up in our kids or bubble up in our church or bubble up anywhere because, because that we, we really don't believe that when it does bubble up that God can't deal with it. And so he says, do you believe, do you believe that if you present your body as a living sacrifice, that God will accept that sacrifice? That God will receive that? And that by his power, you will be transformed? And that's what happened for me, October 2nd, 1994, um, at uh, YMCA in Port Huron, Michigan. Our church met in the YMCA. We had about 25 people, I think. And um, we met in like one of their little chapel rooms. 
and uh, you'd hear the guys playing basketball <laughs> next door on Sunday morning. And uh, we had these altars that we would put, put out there every Sunday. There was a piano, there was like a pulpit thingy, and there was these wooden altars that we'd put down at the front. And I remember my pastor was preaching on something like this about, about are you ready to just give it all to God? And I said, yes, I want to give it all to God. And I've been, wor I've been working on staying on the altar for a while. And I finally came to the place where it's like, I need to be transformed. I need something more even than staying on the altar. There's got to be something that he does. Because at every, at every sacrificial place in Scripture where there's a sacrifice, there's something that a human is doing, and then there's something that God's doing. God's receiving the offering, right? Remember like when Abraham uh, made the covenant with God, and he cut up the animal, and he laid it all out. He did his part, and then God came in between all of the cut pieces of, of, of the animal, saying basically, I will be the, the, the in-between. I will be the one who activates this covenant. I will be the one that activates this promise. I will, I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And so I went down to the front, and I knelt down, something kind of like this, I guess. And I, and, and I remember my, my, my pastor was praying for me, and he said, at one point, he said, Harry, do you, do you really believe that God is able to do what he says that he can do? Like in Jeremiah, when he says, I will take out of you the heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. That's what we're talking, because in, inside there's this thing, this enemy of God, and it, it was there since birth, and honestly, most of us truly don't believe that God can get it out. Even though he said at various times and in various ways, he said, do you really believe that God can take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh? And I said yes, and when I said yes, I just felt this, this, uh, this warm, like, waterfall just wash over me. From the top of my head all the way down to my feet, I began just praying, and I was praying in tongues. I, I barely realized I was praying in tongues, but I was just speaking in the Spirit, and there was just this washing that took place. And that's not to say that I've walked on clouds ever since. That's not the case. But I, I, I can say that, that there's a, there is a real, very real experience that Peter had in Acts chapter 2. That many of us have not had we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit we haven't been transformed we're trying to act transformed without being transformed you say well that sounds charismatic I don't believe in that fine you don't have to believe in it I, I don't I'm not gonna make you believe in anything but a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument so you get your argument and I'll give my experience we'll see how it goes <laughs> I'm not interested in arguing, debating. I, I, have, I have experienced the power of God. I've experienced the, the love of God. That's the thing. The scripture talks about the love of God being spread abroad in our hearts. How can the just be just? How in the world can the just be just when we are so messed up from birth? power of God. The same one that raised Jesus from the dead can also quicken your bodies, can also do something to you, can also resurrect you. If we believe that all these old stories are true, then surely the Holy Spirit is offered to the one. Look, Jesus even said, he said, look, man, if you'll give your kids stuff, don't you believe that the Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? 
You just ask, you just put yourself in a place of submission and say, Father, I need more than what I got. I need more than what I've experienced. I don't even know if I believe in it, but if it's there, I want more than what I've experienced. And it may not be the warm thing for you. It may not be, I, 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 I don't know, I don't know. But I do know that the heart thing is the same. And that's what, that's, the, that's what Peter said. Peter, Peter was talking to, 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 to somebody uh, further on in the book of Acts. He was talking to them about the Gentiles. He's like, these guys got the same thing on the inside that we got. The same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that filled us. That, you know, the whole, like, the wind and the fire, the flame thing. Like, the whole deal, the change of the heart that moved me from, 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 from scared, running away from the accusers of Jesus to going and preaching to 3,000 people, leading them to Christ, walking into the synagogue. Like, that same thing that transformed me on the inside. The, the Gentiles also got this. So I think God's doing something, right? Because it's not, they, maybe they didn't act the same. It didn't translate the same in their culture. But in their heart, it was the exact same thing. Maybe they sang hymns instead of Hillsong. I don't know. But in their heart, it was this, maybe they sat down and stood up instead of like jumping and running around. But in their heart, like, wow, this is the same Holy Spirit. He's not, he's not confined to a culture. He's not limited to one person's experience. But he is available each and every one of us so wherever you're watching from today i just want to extend to you the name of jesus <laughs> i want to i don't have silver gold i don't have a deadline for when corona is over but i have a name and that name is jesus that name is above every other name he is the 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 the, the cover he is the thing between us and our sins. He is the, the one who purges and forgives and cleanses us right here and now. And he is the one that God said, there I will meet with you when you come to my son, when you put your faith in his name. There I will deliver faith to you from his name. And there you shall live by faith. Man, so it's just like that song, are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed? Are you tired? Are you anxious? Are you scared? Are you living in fear? I, got, I, I have a name for you. You can put your faith in that name. You can live by that name. You can raise your children by that name. I don't, I don't have the, uh, anything else, silver and gold, definitely don't have any of that. Marriage counseling, don't have a whole lot of that. But I do have a name. A name that transforms marriages, a name that transforms, that raises dead people into life, a name that transforms attitudes, a name that cancels out addiction, a name that crushes chains and generational issues, a name that breaks the yoke of bondage, a name that raises up the dead, that speaks into dead places, a name that, that rebuilds stuff that has broken down even name that liberates the captives, a name that declares the acceptable year of the Lord's favor, a name that announces a new season and a new place and a new temperature, a name that shifts the atmosphere and aroma of the name of Christ, that changes the atmosphere of a city and of a people and of a nation and of a Facebook page, a name that shifts and, and changes and elevates and lifts up and brings faith and speaks faith and empowers grace and delivers grace and delivers mercy. I do have a name of Jesus. And if you'll put your faith in that name, I'm telling you, if you'll put your faith in that name, He can do more for you than you can ever do for yourself. He can transform you. You cannot transform yourself. He can transform you. 
And maybe 